today on Melee. U.S. Postal Service suspends changes after posing a threat to a mail-in election. The city budget passes without amendment. And outside voices from our correspondents in the field. Ooh, we love those people outside because we're trapped in here. Oh, wait, I'm Jeff Collins. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Leslie Swenson. And I'm Joshua LeBure. It's good to see you, man. It's good to see you, Liz. Very good to see both of you. Beautiful. Well, how's everybody feeling today? I'm glad that we're recording in the afternoon. Yeah, I feel Mm -hmm. very giggly. It's fun. It's it's much better. It's much better. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Josh, our resident. This cup of coffee. (laughs) This cup of coffee is doing me wonders. Drinking some Intelligentsia. Not a sponsor, but we'd be happy to take their sponsorship. Yes, we would. Absolutely. This is delicious. Hello. We got some news. We got some outside stuff. Nothing, uh, not as heavy as last week, so that's good. A little lighter. A little lighter. Still sad. I mean, but the world's still a mess, but we're just feeling better. Well, yeah, that's all. You know, <laughs> we found a little spot of sunshine in the bleak. You know? And there was a piece of good news today, which was nice. Yay. Mm-hmm. But first, we had to get through these headlines. The U.S. Postal Service suspends changes after posing a threat to a mail-in election. Operational changes from the U.S. Postal Service were faced with backlash as Democrats in Congress, state attorneys general, and civil rights groups claimed they have a massive negative impact on the upcoming election. These changes including eliminating overtime for mail carriers, reducing post office hours, and removing postal boxes have been faulted for slowing mail delivery and criticized as an attempt to disenfranchise voters seeking to vote safely during the coronavirus pandemic, as reported by the New York Times. After intense pressure and criticism, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy suspended all changes until after the 2020 election. However, it is unclear as to whether measures that have already caused damage to the Postal Service will be reversed. And in response, two coalitions of at least 20 states, led by Washington State and Pennsylvania, are filing lawsuits against the Trump administration, calling for a reversal of the changes on the grounds that they are unlawful. All right, let's dive back into this COVID situation. Okay. Okay. So we brought this up in a previous news report. The fact that the way the coronavirus is hitting minority communities harder is due to systemic racism and not genetic differences between populations. But as an important follow-up, we felt we should bring up that in Nebraska, race information is not being fully reported. According to the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Resources, out of the over 31,000 positive cases statewide, 4,900 of those cases have not reported information on race. Now, we should say that over 14,000 of the state's cases are white, but let's remember, Nebraska is over 85% white, so that 14,000 is not unexpected. So let's look at the percentage of positive cases compared to the percentage of the population. And let's bring it a little closer to home. Here are the numbers for Douglas County where race is being tracked more diligently. Currently, almost 40% of Douglas County cases are within our Hispanic communities. However, about 35% of cases are white, but the total population of the county is over 70% white. So we would expect a large population of white cases here. In contrast, the Hispanic community makes up just over 15% of the total population and is still accounting for nearly 40% of our total cases. That's... Wow, yeah. These are almost stats like jails, man. What's going on? So this is an important reminder that when we talk about the numbers of COVID cases, it is hugely important that we look at the percentages and not the straight numbers. We should also be comparing these numbers to the zip codes they are coming out of. The numbers mean nothing without context. 
Our county's total COVID count means nothing until you compare it to large U.S. cities per capita rates and see that we have more cases per capita than places like L.A. and Seattle. This is crazy. The fact that nearly 40% of our COVID cases are in the Hispanic community is made more meaningful when we remember that Omaha's meatpacking plants are centered in the predominantly Hispanic neighborhoods of South Omaha. With context, these numbers are devastating. So I've talked with the organizers of the local UFCW and just talking about the cases like from the beginning of the pandemic and it's just it's been a consistent problem since the beginning and this really kind of hammers back to like what you know I'm very passionate about and getting out the news with you know talking about labor and the fact that we put these people that were in these quote these you know they are necessary industries we need food and the fact that we just treat those people you know expendable Exactly. And I think that this is um, just an egregious example of that, but it's also what, yeah. I like like that word. (laughs) And it's also what um, our businesses and our companies and our capitalist society as a whole is built on. And that's just something that I just wanted to hit, you know, even more, just talk about even more that it's, always the people in the most vulnerable vulnerable positions that have to pay the price for our um neglect for our uh stupid decisions we make in this country (laughs) i can't think of the word but that's the thing i just really wanted to make sure that we're really touching on yeah so While some cities nationwide are reducing police budgets, Omaha's proposed 2021 budget slightly increases the city's police funds. During this past week, City Council President Chris Jerem presented the amendment to allow debate on the issue of reducing police funds, which many Omaha residents have expressed support for through recent protests. But the City Council voted against a proposed amendment to the 2021 budget that would cut the police funding by $2 million on Tuesday. The Omaha police chief spoke at the city council meeting and explained that the reduced budget could mean a loss of officers. Councilman Ben Gray, who represents North Omaha, was against the amendment because he does not want to see the quote-unquote progress OPD has made in the community undone. In a previous episode, we talked about what Gene had said about how much money that is, and to reduce it by $2 million would be about 20 million, like 20 officers officers off the street. Yeah. I do not know clearly how police are paid directly, but I feel like if 20 officers command $22 million, that's a lot. Seems a little out, out, outrageous. It sounds like a little bit more than the, um, you know, essential workers at the meatpacking plant are making. Oh, for sure. For sure. Just slightly. And we lost a lot more of them than 20. So, yeah. yeah. Jerem proposed to transfer the funds cut from the police department to mental health treatment rehabilitation, and employment services. Councilman Festerson proposed $1.8 million from the city's reserve to be used to increase mental health services instead of cutting the police budget. Mayor Gene Stothert has been vocal about vetoing both proposals if they were approved by the council. She does not believe money should be taken out of the cash reserve during the pandemic. Festerson's amendment was approved in a 4-3 vote and the city budget for 2021 was passed with a vote of 5-2, to two, not in favor of reallocating the OPD budget. One thing I just want to 
remind people on this part is just that go back and visit our protesters diary if you want to hear about the progress OPD has made with the community because I would argue it's not great. Yeah. And I mean, we do know that the the city has been coming out basically in force uh, to try to get try to get that amendment like really pushed through because the amendment only came from the last city council meeting where it was what hours long because everybody had a public comment and their comment was always going to we should move the money from the police budget into other services, particularly mental health services. So voices were heard, but then they were snuffed out. Of course, our city is much more than the decisions made at city council or in the mayor's office. We have our arts and culture correspondent Vivian Caniglia to fill us in on what's going on around town this week. So, there's a lot to see and do this week in Omaha. For starters, you might have noticed there's some new billboards around town. We Thrive and Middle Spaces billboards are on display across North Omaha. A project headed by Tiana Conyers and the Union for Contemporary Arts installed five billboards in North Omaha, highlighting the LGBTQIA and BIPOC community in Omaha. The five billboards installed last week will be on display through August and onward. Conyers and the Union intend for the artwork to highlight intersections of identity in race, culture, passions, and relationships in the Omaha community. Tiana noted that persons of the LGBTQIA plus BIPOC community are often pushed to choose which aspect of their identity is the focus, and the billboards show the intersections of identity. The union aims to give overdue exposure to achievements of the black and brown queer community in Omaha and given voice to up-and-coming artists. Visit the Union for Contemporary Arts website for more information on the location of the billboards and the subjects that are portrayed in Tiana's work. Omaha Abolition, an educational protest, is calling for the abolition of ICE and for-profit prisons. This Saturday, August 22nd, is an educational protest sponsored by A Light for Omaha, Young Progressives of Nebraska, and Pro-Black to examine and understand cases of family deportation and call for abolition of ICE and for-profit prisons. The event will begin at 6 p.m. at the Douglas County Courthouse. It is a family-friendly event and masks are required. Masks, water, and informational pamphlets will be available to attendees. For more information, visit the Young Progressives of Nebraska Instagram at YP of NEB. That is all lowercase letters. Big Garden continues to support summer pop-up farm stands. The Big Garden began in 2005 in Omaha and now has 26 gardens located in the Omaha metro area. Their mission is to cultivate food security by creating community gardens, opportunities to serve, and providing education on hunger-related issues. In collaboration with local organizations, the Big Garden has created a series of pop-up farm stands throughout Omaha this summer to support women, infant, and children clinics, as well as senior centers and provide healthy food options. Today, August 21st, pop-up stands occur at the Midtown WIC, One World WIC, and WIC West Centers. The farm stands are open to the general public, cash and card are accepted, and drive through and walk-up options are available. For more information, you can visit the Big Gardens Facebook to find the exact locations and times of pop-up stands happening today and in the future. And lastly, as we do, we've got a feature interview piece for you. In July, a report called Understanding Evictions in Omaha was published and Dewan Lamont-Hayes of Noise spoke with the co-author of the report. For people in Omaha who struggle to make ends meet, evictions can have devastating impacts on family life, education, and health. These words mark the opening of a report called Understanding Evictions in Omaha that was released in July detailing the landscape of evictions in the city, where they happen, how they happen, and who is most impacted by them. I spoke with co-author Pierce Greenberg to learn more. 
So I'm an assistant professor of sociology over at Creighton University. Uh, my research is mostly about what I call spatial inequality, uh, this question of who gets what, where, and why. But uh, I really got into thinking about evictions and where evictions happen um, and why they happen in certain parts of the city and not others. And this was a project and a collaboration with uh, Gary Fisher, a local housing attorney at Family Housing Advisory Services. The report, published online, often cites Matthew Desmond, author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City. Desmond writes, quote, residential stability begets a kind of psychological stability, which allows people to invest in their home and social relationships. It begets school stability, which increases the chances that children will excel and graduate. And it begets community stability, which encourages neighbors to form strong bonds and take care of their block, end quote. Greenberg says, it is important to recognize the collective impact of evictions. You know, a lot of people think of evictions as sort of a thing that happens to individuals, but we look at, at it more from a neighborhood level and look at the neighborhoods where the most evictions are happening. And I think um, it may not be a surprise, but just mapping out evictions where they are, where the hotspots are, that those follow the lines of, of racial segregation. A standout feature of the report are heat maps that allow people to see exactly which areas and complexes have the most evictions, which, Greenberg says, could help inform policy change and direct action from all sides. And so I think it's a mix of trying to make a difference policy-wise, but also this sort of ground-up advocacy. For example, you know, someone brought up to me, hey, maybe we should go to these hotspots and register people to vote, right? Um, these are complexes that have a lot of turnover and are part of that sort of eviction ecosystem. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a mix of that sort of top down, trying to make a difference at the city level, trying to start these conversations with the housing authority, with HUD, um, with other city level people. But then also, you know, we're trying to democratize this data to let community groups um, and other people interested in the issue use it for more of that ground up organizing for change too. The report data does not include a deep analysis of the impact COVID-19 has had on economic stability and the likely rise in evictions, but Greenberg says there will be follow-up research in the coming months. Douglas County is currently using some of its funding from the CARES Act to help renters cover missed payments from job loss due to the pandemic. Details can be found at douglascounty-ne.gov. For Noise, I'm Dewan Lamont-Hayes. Thank you all for listening to Melee. To hear a discussion about today's stories, listen to the Melee Discussions podcast. Right here, wherever you are listening to the show. And that does it for this episode of Melee. This show was produced by me, Joshua LeBure. Interviews and field recordings produced by Emily Chin-Newton. Our theme song is by Culture House. Researched and fact-checked by Anush Gadar, Addie Costello, and Vivian Coniglia. This is a collaboration of Figure, Noise, and Hi Omaha. To support this show, find us at patreon.com forward slash Melee News. And we'll see you all next Friday.